0: I was reflecting while I was uh, sitting in my man cave. I have a little man cave at home. I have a little converted cellar, which uh, doesn't have natural light, really. So I just sort of sit in the dark pondering, and uh, sort of. And while I was uh, pondering in my man cave around this whole issue of generosity, I, I, I was thinking, well, where do you root this? Where do you, you know? You can say, hey, we're Christians. Be generous. But where does that actually come from? And I I sort of sat there on my swivel chair leaning back and thinking. Wow. Just wow really Like when you gave your life to Christ, so many things happen. Like instantly, so many things happen to you. The minute, the moment, the nanosecond you meet Christ, so many things happen. And, and some of you would have grown up in Christian homes, and you kind of crept into these things. And maybe some of you are like me, and I know some of you are, because some of you met Christ since you started coming here, where you have that moment when you realize you have a Savior, and it hits you. Or you can grow up becoming a Christian in a Christian home, and raised into these things, then you have like an epiphany. But that moment you realise that this life is not it. That is a startling thing. You know, when I, when I first gave my life to Christ, when I was an 18 year old kid from Romford, or Dagenham, Dargenham, as we like to say, those of us who are a bit more middle class from Essex, I, I used to weep, I'd just weep. I'd be, I'd be hiding from me dad me flying squad detective dad because i'd i'd pull out the bible that the uh, the church gave me and i'd start reading it and and i'd weep secretly i'd be like wow this life is not it i'm actually a man with a destiny now like i'm we sing the songs but i'm never gonna die I mean, I might fade away in Ashgate Hospice one day or something, but I'll be immediately with the Lord. I will, won't I? It's going to be amazing. I'm never going to die. Like, I've got, a, I've got an eternal destiny. And I've got a Father in heaven who loves me unconditionally. The Bible says that I'm a, I'm a son or you're a daughter. Adopted into the family of heaven by a God who sustains your life nanosecond by nanosecond moment by moment, because He loves you, and everything you have from every breath you're drawing is a right now a precious gift like you realize these things when you give your life to christ you you realize you have a a saviour who who died for you and is praying for you right now i mean it's honestly absolutely mind-blowing and the bible says that when we give our lives to christ we're then filled with his holy spirit i mean you I mean, we just say these things in charismatic churches, but it's astonishing. You are filled with God's Spirit. His presence is within you to give you power and strength to live another life. That is incredible. And the Bible says, and I'm not afraid of this term, people say it's cheesy. It's not. We're born again. We're born again into the family of heaven, filled with God's Spirit. It is an utterly, incredibly remarkable thing. And you're realizing that you're following a God whose very nature is love and by His spirit is transforming you moment by moment into the likeness of Jesus. even though we have our grumpy moments and weird moments, actually loves you that much and cares you that much. He's filled you with his spirit and is investing into your life to prepare you for eternity right now. That is the actions of a lavishly loving, generous, incredible God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now that tells me something. If you realize this, and I know many of you here who know Jesus will know that all those things are true you would think that that would have a profound impact on the way we all live our lives, wouldn't you? You would think that, knowing that we are going to be in eternity together forever, that we have our destiny secure, and we have a saviour who died for us, and we have the presence of his spirit running through our veins, our very being is full of his power, and he gives us all this great stuff, you would think that that would have an outworking in the way we interact with each other. You would at least hope so. And yet, and yet, and some of you might have heard me say this before, a few years ago, uh, and uh, forgive me if you have heard me say this before, but it's pertinent. A few years ago, I was sitting in Pizza Express with a friend of mine, outside a conference centre, for a denominational conference, for a denomination I wasn't part of, but I was speaking and stuff at this conference. Having a pizza express with my mate, and the waiter came over, and he went, a lot of Christians in here tonight. And I went, really? And he went, I said, how can you tell? He went, he said, it's the same every time there's a Christian conference. He's like this. I went, is it? He said, how do you know they're Christians? I'm thinking, I'm on here. The, he, I'm going to preach the gospel, he's going to get saved. He can tell by the aura of the presence of the Spirit hovering over me. That's what I thought. I thought, I'm looking at my mate Dave, and I'm thinking, we're in, we're in here, Trigger, you know. And then he said, and he went, they all all attack water. He said, none of them tip, and we get more complaints. He said, what are you guys doing here? Nothing. Said, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. It's amazing, and me and Dave just looked at each other, I got back into my uh, pepperoni pizza, and I thought, that that is one massive disconnect there. And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna call it as I see it, because I have to, my understanding theologically, from the book and all the benefits of becoming a Christian and all the things that God says about you, that we would be amongst the most generous amazing, loveliest people to know on the face of the planet, you would think. But my experience is not that, over the years. In some people it is, in some people, but it's not always like that. I I, I just want to add a caveat, and I'm not saying this to make us all feel better, but honestly, um, Karen and I regularly say to each other, um, the last three and a half years of starting this church up have been the best church years we've ever had. And I've been in great churches before. I mean, I've been in some shocking scenarios over the years, but who hasn't? You don't need to be a Christian for half an hour before you're in a shocking situation at some point or other. But we have been in some great churches. Uh, but the, the 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 body of believers here, the fellowship, the family of Redeemer King amongst the loveliest, kindest, soft-hearted, most gracious people that we've ever had the privilege of journeying with. But we need to keep reminding ourselves of what we're about, which is what we're doing here today. So I just want to add that caveat. But it is devastating... Uh, what you find out there and yet we follow a saviour who modeled the most utter generosity by sending his son I mean it is an incredible role model to us and not only that but it gives us so many benefits and yet we're so miserable and horrible half the time and then when you look at the way the father and the son interacts in the trinity I mean to me it's an amazing honoring relationship you know the father's saying son I'll give you the name above every name you know every knee will bow to you you know, just lavishing his words of honour and praise and love on his son. Everything is will bow to you. The, the, the church is founded on you. Everything's about you, Jesus. Everything's about you, son. And the son's saying, I only want to do what you tell me to do. I just want to honour you. I just want to be obedient to what you're saying. And the father's saying, no, but I'll just raise you up. I'll give you the name above every name. So both, you know, dwelling in love and honour and generosity and grace. That's our role model, actually, for how we do relationships. And yet, we seem to get it so wrong. So... I'm going to talk through, uh, as rapidly as I can, um, some whole kind of tenets I think, of generosity uh, as we see it coming through the Bible with our words, our possession, our time, our gifts, and and we'll see where it lands. Um, Dan's going to talk very specifically on money next week. So don't not come next week because we're going to do money next week. So I'm going to touch on it this week. Uh, for where your treasure is there, your heart will also be, says the Bible. So just dwell on that one for the next week, and we'll move on. Number one, generous with our words. There are loads of Bible verses about uh, the tongue, but my favorite is this. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There's a thing. Only say what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Out of all the things that Karen and I have been involved in, in pastoral work over the years it's actually people's words that I've seen have the most destructive power on individuals and on organisations and churches, and in businesses and in workplaces. It's, and I'm going to spend more time on this than anything else, because I think this to me is one of the most fundamental issues. Words, spoken in an ungodly manner, will tear churches apart ever so quickly. When people choose to go to war over something, or carry masses of offence, and can't let it go, it is the most dangerous territory of all for any church, and I thank God that in the last three and a half years we have all dwelt in harmony together. Because actually, it, this grieves God's spirit uh, like nothing else. Just think, just think on one little issue, like gossip. Gossip, which some Christians might describe as a need for prayer. Gossip. <laughs> gossip is actually an action of a mean spirit. It is not the action of a generous spirit. When we gossip, it's something that excites you, but is actually on an issue that is causing untold misery to someone else. That's why it's the action of a mean spirit. So like, imagine like me and Dan in my man and I'm going, oh, did you hear about Marlene? <laughs> Marlene, she did this. <laughs> that's what our normal meetings are like on a Monday morning. Imagine if that's what we were doing, but Marlene's going through utter hell. That's a mean spirit in me because it's exciting me and I'm, I'm, I'm bursting to tell someone something that I know. It's the actions actually of a mean spirit and it only happens when we're actually like, causing harm or potentially quite excited about causing harm to someone else. That's just one issue. So here's a tip for you. Exclude yourself from it. Let's never let that come into this place. If someone tells you something, and it's a confidence between you and them, that's it. But if someone comes to you and says, I've heard that Phil said this about Mary, and that happened in exclude yourself, kill it dead, just say <laughs> that's, cool. yeah, that's, that's not for me to know about and, and kill it stone dead because as we'll come on to see it's like a wild forest fire that causes untold destruction. We also need to think carefully about the words that we speak to individuals. Again, Karen and I have found over the years that thoughtless words spoken to individuals can cause a lifetime of damage. I would say that masses of prayer ministry that I've done over the years, or pastoral work I've done with people, is actually undoing stuff that's been said to people that has caused incredible harm. Now, I'm very grateful that um, my mum and dad uh, were, for the most part, incredibly affirming individuals. Um, my dad would repeatedly say to me, I think, son, you can do whatever you put your mind to in this life. Now, he might not have even believed it, because he saw me trying to do DIY and help him, and it clearly wasn't going to be a thing. You know, he's quite a skilled individual when it comes to carpentry, bricklaying, making stuff. Uh, He's very skilled. And I would help him, and I would say, Dad, I'm really not very good at doing this. And he would say, son, I think whatever you want to put your mind to, you'll be able to achieve. And that had a very positive impact on me. And I've actually carried that all through my life. Um, God himself says very affirming things about you in the Bible. But my parents, I I have to say, were for the most part very affirming. I mean, I wound them up from time to time. And they might have said the odd bad thing, but I probably deserved it. In fact, I know they did. But for the most part, they said that you can do it, son. And they communicated belief to me. Conversely, um, Karen and I prayed with people many times over the years where people have been absolutely crippled by negative things that have been spoken to people. And, and I just want to say this particularly to you if you're a parent. I know, uh, I think I can say this now that my kids have nearly left and Emily's nearly 20 and Annie's just about to fly their nest. <laughs> See you later. Empty nesting, come on. <laughs> Affirming you. So. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I think we can say this now that they're, they're loving the Lord and still with us, and, and uh, we've done the baby toddler thing. Um, be very careful what you say to your kids. Just be very careful. Now, even when you're really wound up. And if you do say something that's very unaffirming or negative, which I've done in the past then you just need to go and say, I know I said that out of anger and I'm really sorry, would you forgive me? Which is a thing that parents don't often do, but I think it's a really good thing to do. And, and then they won't carry it through their lives. Um, but we have to be so careful when it comes to the things we say. Let me read you this from the Word, this, this is to me stunning and uh, very scary. Here we go, this is James 3. by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil amongst the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The Bible doesn't pull its punches, does it? With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters... Can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic A word that is negative, damaging, going to battle with someone it is a small spark that can become a wild forest fire. And we've all seen the footage of what a wild forest fire is and it spreads and spreads and it will kill everything in its path. One small thing can cause utter devastation. It could be a a word of anger spoken to someone. You're fed up with someone and you're good with words. You know how to do their legs in with something that you say. It could be some bit of dissent in the fellowship, a little bit of gossip. And it's that little spark and it spreads like wildfire. It starts off by smouldering and then it spreads. That's why I'm talking about gossip. Because gossip is people forming triangles, a conversation. It just spreads and spreads and spreads. And it just takes everything down. And the Bible's clear. The Bible's saying that's demonic. I mean, that's full on. It's full of poison. The bitten bridle for us is the Holy Spirit. So we ask God to tame our tongues so that we speak life. I think everything we speak should be words that bring life. That's what the Bible says. Think about something before you say it. Is it bringing life? If someone's saying things to you, they're not bringing life. You can say, is this bringing life to this situation? That's what I think our words should be like. When it's not like that, it's incredibly destructive. Our words should be laced with generosity. The best way you can go about this is to pray that God breaks your heart for people. People are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Everyone's winnable. Everyone's lovable, actually. Even the person who most winds you up in this church can be lovable. But you've got to reach out and pray that God breaks your heart. Do you know what I've found? Everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a thing that they're carrying. Everyone's normal until you get to know them. Then everyone's weird. I mean, you're weird too. You've got a blind spot. You think you're normal. No, you're not. You're weird. You're all weird. I'm weird. And we all got the capacity to wind each other up. And I've got the capacity to be too blunt. I had to pray that God breaks my heart continually for people and that my words are laced with love. I, I, I want to be generous with my words and I don't want to cause damage with my words. But here in verse 14 in that James passage, the source of destruction. Is mostly ego, pride, insecurity, bitterness, envy, jealousy, those things. So the best thing you can constantly do is speak out words of affirmation for people. You want people to be better than you in every respect, don't you? You want your kids to be better than you. Well, you want everyone to just do better than you. Cheer each other on. We want all the churches to be bigger and better than us. We want loads of people to come to Christ. We're still going to have the biggest flags. We're never going to have the smallest flags but I don't care if we're the biggest church or not. We're not in a competition here. We're on a rescue mission. I'm trying to save people from hell. I don't get involved in rubbish. I don't be sidetracked by envy and bitterness and jealousy. It's why churches don't work together across towns. It's crazy. So have a humble spirit. Lay your life down. Serve everyone. Cheer everyone on. Say good things. If you've said anything that brings destruction, put it right. Life's too short. It's just something uh, I do want to say. Uh, if you're now sitting here thinking, I have had something on that person and I've not been the most gracious or generous with my words in private or in public, uh, just a word of advice. Don't go up to them and say, I, I forgive you for you being a complete idiot. <laughs> that is just not a good way forward. Uh, I forgive you for the way you've really wound me up over the last three and a half years. Um, I Don't do that. Just invite them over for a meal. Get some slurring, make a macaroni cheese, spend some time, say nice things, open your homes, uh, open your lives, soften your heart. Uh, My principle really is if it's not going to build people up or build the fellowship or bring life, don't say it. Now, I know that sometimes you need to bring correction and all that kind of stuff, but that's different. Uh, the final point on this I'm going to say is are people listening to your words in such a way that you're pointing people to Christ? You know, not not with a bullhorn. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people look at your generous words and your generous character and your generous heart and your way you conduct yourself and are you therefore an ambassador of Christ what are you known for in your workplace and in your family are you a bringer of life who points to Christ or not which leads me to the next thing be generous with your home if you've got one Romans 12 says verse 1 that we are living sacrifices and then later on after verse 9 it starts talking about practicing hospitality practice hospitality That is not an option. It's saying, practice hospitality, be a living sacrifice. Uh, Very briefly on this, that does not mean just inviting people over for a meal, although that is a good thing to do. Inviting people over for a meal is a very good thing to do. But here's a tip, start spending time with people that you don't know, who aren't like you. That is one of the greatest kingdom challenges. Spend time with people who are not like you. And it will enrich your life like you don't believe. But here's the other thing. When you talk about, in the Bible, when we talk about practicing hospitality, it doesn't mean do come over for dinner on Thursday at 7 o'clock, blah, 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 and you have a nice dinner together. That is part of it, but it's not all of it. It's about being inconvenienced. Being prepared to be inconvenienced. You know what it's like when someone turns up at your door and you don't want them to come in. I mean, I'm mean, i a shocker in my house because I invite people over without giving the family notification and what tends to happen is suddenly there's a dispersal exercise at lightning speed through my house where everyone has to disappear because they're still in their dressing gowns and stuff like that. It's well, fine, pop over at quarter past seven, it'll be good, we'll have breakfast together. Oh, I forgot to tell the family. <laughs> everyone disappears hiding in cupboards downstairs until everyone's left. Now, what I'm saying is, it's probably not reasonable, but, <laughs> but, practice inconvenience hospitality. Invite people into your homes, let people stay with you, spend time with people. Someone turns up a door, invite them in for coffee, even if they don't want to come in. Don't force them in, that'd be weird. <laughs> but, but be prepared to give time if you can, because it's different. It's not what the world's doing. The world are hi- is hiding behind a closed door. People do not socialise. We should be amongst the most mind-blowingly open-life people that the world has. Don't shut the world out. Invite them in. Next thing, very quickly, uh, I would say uh, your possessions um, in our culture is a very precious thing. But in the early church, uh, which many people point back to this romantic notion of the early church. I'm I'm not a complete early church romanticist because they're all getting killed as well. And it was a really tough time, and people were being martyred and beaten up and persecuted. And so there's there's something else going on there that no one talks about. But what they were was radical in the way they did community, because their lives have been so touched by a gracious, loving God who they realised had died for them, and are now filled with His Spirit. It turned the way they lived their lives upside down. So they started to live with not just the opposite spirit in the way they behaved, but had the opposite spirit about their possessions. No one told them to do this, but it's why you get the classic verses in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. No one told them to do that. They just started doing it. And then it says it again, like it, it, it carries on. Uh, Acts 4, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Wow. When people talk about the early church, they want to talk about the miracles. They don't talk about the sharing of possessions, common holdings of goods, and the persecution. But, but the lack of common ownership was a startling thing. Now, um, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and say let's start doing that uh, because I think it would be a bit culty and weird. But what I'm saying is this. Particularly if you own a Ferrari, hold it lightly <laughs> um, because the, your pastor loves it. On a serious note, hold everything lightly hold everything lightly everything it's all a gift it's all a gift I remember when Karen and I were profoundly challenged on this years ago now when I left my job in the city and Karen was pregnant and money was not really a thing anymore, and uh, the church, you know, paying me a couple of grand a year after the first 18 months, after our savings had gone, and um, again, forgive me if I said this before, but uh, it's important, it's pertinent to today, we we still wanted to give, we couldn't give much, we didn't actually have money coming in, so we tried to give other stuff. And. Um, I remember coming across this woman who had fled a violent relationship and she was having to she went to a new area, couldn't get her kids to school, and then she went on three buses. And I remember the Lord saying to me, You got a car? I'm like, oh, it's my car. Said, well, you got a car, give her the car. She needs a car. I'm like, that's well, my car. If I give her the car, I won't have a car, I'm gonna to have to get a bus. But the Lord said, Well, give her the car. So I went on to Karen and I said, This woman needs a car. If I give her the car, I won't have a car. I'll have to get a bus. What's the point in her having a car if I haven't got a car? And Karen said, give her the car. Well, Miss mm. Holy. She's actually Karen. I talk about it. Karen does it. So we 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 took the uh <laughs> we took the we drove the car, we drove the car around then, signed it over, gave her the car. So sort of walking back thinking, what's that about? I need to get a bus now, I haven't got any money. <laughs> and then I uh I was walking to the church up the road to preach and it was raining, so I had me obviously walking now. And uh, I was walking up the road in a raincoat and I came across a down and out bloke. And he went, literally, I just stopped and started talking to him. And he went, That's a nice coat. I thought, the Lord, say, give him your coat. So if I give him my coat, I'll have a coat. So give him your coat. So you're kidding me. So then I gave him my coat and he went, It fits me perfectly. I went, Great. I'm happy for you. And I uh, went and preached, then walked home and got soaking wet. <laughs> when I got in, Karen was watching a programme on TV, it was a Sunday evening, and there was a bloke wearing a three-quarter length suede jacket, black. Very nice jacket. Karen said, why are you wet? And I said, I'll give me coat to someone. She said, why would you do that? Oh, she's the person who'd tell me to do it normally. I said, I don't know, I just a bloke needed a coat, so I go, my coat, she went, well, "That's good." She said, that sort of coat would suit you. I went, well, what, that one? On the TV program? She said, that would really suit you. I went, oh, I would, yeah, nice. See if we got a couple hundred quid a coat like that. So I'm just sort of driving myself off with a tea towel, you know, sitting there watching the TV. And then, when camera was there, camera's there, like this sounds bizarre, the doorbell went. And it was a woman called Sue, who I'd led to Christ about a month earlier, who had been a violent debt collector. And now met the uh, grace of Jesus and was a lollipop lady. It's a rapid turnaround. <laughs> That's what happens, that's actually what happens. And uh, she, uh, she stood there carrying a bag, like a big Debenhams bag. And she went, very essex she went, Bought me boyfriend a coat, don't fit him. Thought he'd fit Beachy. I went, really? She went you yeah, open opened the bag. So I opened the bag, it was a three-quarter length black suede coat. So I'm now a bit shell-shocked. And I'm putting a coat on. And I went, it fits perfectly. I mean, it fit better than the one I gave to the down and out bloke. So this is a lovely coat. So I went into Carington Lounge. I just went, hey. not <laughs> like, what happened? I went, I don't know. I don't know. Because like the bloke's still on TV wearing a black three-quarter length jacket. Now, I'm not into give and get. But that was the Lord saying, I've got you. Don't let fear stop you from being generous with your stuff. And since that moment, we've always tried to throw more parties in other people, open our home up to more people, host more people. We do. We try and out-host everyone if we can. It's a principle. We try and give our stuff. We try and hold our things lightly if, as we can, as we're enabled. Now, I'm just going to say this. In that year, I was earning two grand, and I had to pay about £500 pound a year to the Dartford toll, And all my fuel, because I was studying at college at the same time as planting the church, and we had a kid, and I didn't have any money, I gave away five cars. I have five cars turn up, people giving me cars. Then I meet people who need a car. And then the final car I got was a brilliant car, and I crashed it and rolled it off. (laughs) And I'm like, what's that about? And then the insurance assessor came around, they gave me three grand more than it was needed. So I bought a motorbike and bought someone else a car. Then it stopped. Even one time, I just—I know you're going to think this is mad, but this is all in this season of learning a lesson. Even one time, I was walking down the road and someone had given me a watch. It was a nice watch. I was walking down the road and I felt the Lord say to me, ask that bloke there the time. I said, I've got a watch on So ask him the time. So I'm not like this all the time, by the way. But I went over to this guy and went, you've got the time? And he went no mate, I have got a watch. I thought, oh. <laughs> I'm not joking. And, um, and I said, oh, I said, look, I've just got to say, it's going to sound really weird. I lead a church, I'm a committed Christian and I was praying and I felt my father in heaven say, ask you the time and I just think maybe you need a watch. And he went, wow. He said, I've just come over to this country to teach. And I'm desperate to find a church. I need to, I've left my family behind to earn money to send back. And I'm desperately looking for a church. He said, what's your, what's your church? So I told him in the church. And, um, and, and he said, well, it's me. He said, would you pray with me now? So we prayed together in the street. And then um, I thought, it's great. He won't want me to watch anymore. And he went, and the watch is such a blessing. Thanks, because I can't afford to buy a watch. So went, oh. And he never came to the church. So I don't know what that was about. But anyway, um, the next morning... I had an early morning breakfast meeting at a cafe on the A127 called The Best Cafe Fry Up in Essex. And it wasn't, but that's what they said. And I met a bloke and he put a, he put a box in front of me and he said, it's the strangest thing. I was shopping with my wife yesterday in Lakeside Shopping Centre and I thought, I think the Lord wants me to bless Carl with a new watch. So I bought you a watch. And it was a watch that Karen had pointed out the day before in a catalogue. So we should have a watch like that. And I went, that's about 100 quid, I can't afford that. And it was the same watch, wasn't it? It was the same watch. And then it all stopped. Nothing like that. I mean, I've tried giving away my car to get a Porsche. It didn't work. You know, giving, myself a, a, giving away a jacuzzi to get a swimming pool didn't happen. Giving away a paper airplane to get a jet, not happened. It's not happened. It was a season. And it was a season of this. Do not be afraid to hold your possessions lightly because your Father in heaven knows what you need and he'll give it to you when you need it. trust me i know it sounds bizarre i've just got to tell you what happened to me and we've tried to live it ever since generous with our homes generous with our possessions the bible even says lend lend without expecting back the bible says be generous we should be known as the most generous people on the planet blow people's minds that's what i think be generous with your gifts and your time each of you should use a gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace, stewards of God's grace in his various forms. Ephesians 2:10. We're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God's prepared for us in advance for us to do. The Bible's full of it. God has given each of you unique gifts. Use them. We need your help now. We're growing and we need your help. We need help in kids' groups, we need help with CAP. We need help with setup. We need help with prayer. We need help with fixing stuff. Well amazing if you had some people who got some skills. We can help people who've not got stuff to fix their homes up. Use our practical gifts. There'll be people with financial gifts. We need those gifts too. We could have DIY squads blowing people's minds around the town. There is so much stuff that we could do. There are people here with gifts in art and music. I'd love to have some art stuff happening and creativity. There are people who are naturally gregarious. I'm looking around and I can see people who are naturally supremely gifted evangelists. You just don't know it yet. But we need you to step up and say, I'm here, how can I help? Annoy us with your belligerent demand to do something. Don't let us hunt you down. Hunt us down and annoy us. Honestly i'd love to see creativity and service unleashed around this uh, church because god has given you gifts that we need to use generously and finally financial generosity i've done this last because i think all the other stuff is about heart and character and then where your treasure is there your heart will also be and dan is going to go into this in much more detail but my dream for this church is that we blow the lid off generosity and blow everyone's minds everyone who interacts with this church just thinks, wow. It's why if we have a visiting speaker, we'll take, I want to take them out for a meal after. And I want to blow their minds in generosity. I want to treat them so well. It's, it's why if we're doing anything, we want to do it to a high standard. It's, it's why we don't have a bowl collecting pennies for the tea and coffee. I just want to have a tea and coffee. I mean, someone's got to pay for it. But we pay for it by the giving. But the more we give, the more we can do. Blessed is one who considers the poor, Psalm 41, 1 to 3. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He's called blessed in the land. Proverbs 11 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. It's so true, isn't it? Because the more you give, the more you don't actually need it anyway. And the more you hold back, you always want more. I think it was J.D. Rockefeller, if I remember off the top of my head, they said, how much money do you need to be really happy? He's the first proper billionaire in the world, in world history. How much money do you need to be happy? Just a little bit more, he said. Just a little bit more, it's never enough. Whole family uh, just split up over the money. But those who are generous, well, I think the Lord loves it. Proverbs 19:7. whoever is generous to the Lord, lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Luke 6, judge not and you'll not be judged, condemn not and you'll not be condemned, forgive you'll be forgiven, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now we've never really taken up an offering, I don't know if you've known that, those of us who've journeyed with us for the last three and a half years, we don't pass around little velvet bags, (laughs) or little boxes, or open plates to compel you to give more. Because we can see if there's the sound of a coin or the rustle of a note. We don't do that. It's all online now, anyway. We do have a box that Johnny Boston made. It's lasted all this time because he's a proper carpenter. That's over there. We made it big in expectation it'd be bulging out the sides every week. Never really has. But we don't take up an offering because actually we just want the Lord to touch your hearts, and if you believe in what you're doing, you'll give. I'm going to talk about the principles of that next week but I will say this we are dreaming big like big you know I'm not, I'm not in, I don't even know this about me but I'm not into small stuff everything I do has got to be big and loud and outrageous and I want to start a church here and build a church here if God so graces us that impacts this entire region that can pay for church plants in the mission around the world that can extract people out of debt and brokenness. I want this church to be a beacon of hope and joy and love to the most hurting, broken and lost people in this whole region. I I dream of a church of thousands being spread out around this region, all kinds of church planting activity. Not because I just want to be the biggest, shiniest church, but I just want to see as many people rescued as possible. In, in the time that we got. I want to give it our best shot. That's part of the reason I quit my job. To stay in Ches Vegas. I did. Because so I, I believe that this thing could happen. So if you're not on board financially with it yet. Get, please, all I say is. If you feel like this is your church. There's so much we could do. And I just want to say that it's not equal amounts. It's equal sacrifice. Some people here will earn shed loads. Some people don't earn a lot. It's not equal amounts. It's equal sacrifice. Luke 12, to 4 Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. It's equal sacrifice. But if we're in this, let's do this. I I mean wouldn't it be great I just while I was sitting in my man cave leaning back on my swivel chair I thought wouldn't it be amazing if one day I'm like an old boy if the Lord allows me to live that long I'm like an old withering pruner of an old man shuffling down the road on my Zimmer frame and there's this massive building loads of people going in all ages and stages and you look up and think Oh, I think I was part of that once how wonderful because God's people built this amazing beautiful thing that's going to last generations it's about legacy I might not ever see it but our kids might or generations might but, but it starts here we're the founders of this thing we, we do this thing together